Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. Hello, I'm Marina Yevshan, co-host of the Russia-Ukraine War Report podcast, and today is January the 15th, 2024. It's been 3,640 days since Russia's illegal occupation of Crimea on January 27, 2014, and one year and 325 days since Russia expanded its war of aggression against Ukraine. Today's podcast looks at events that happened over the weekend. During the podcast you can use a Russia-Ukraine war map to help you visualize the areas discussed, and there is a link in the podcast description. The Russia-Ukraine war report is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from our direct contacts and journalists in Ukraine, the Russian Ministry of Defense and the Ukrainian General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine morning reports, operational commands north, south and east of Ukraine, open-source intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geospatial experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian male bloggers and social media channels with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, the truth, because the truth matters. Let's start with the daily assessment. 1. Due to the shutdown of a Russian A-50U AWACS aircraft, we assess there is an increased risk of so-called punitive missile strikes against Ukraine, targeting civilians and civilian infrastructure over the next 72 hours. 2. The Russian fall-winter offensive of 2023, which started on October 6, has culminated without achieving any operational or strategic goals. 3. We maintain it is unlikely that the United States will provide additional military or financial aid to Ukraine in 2024. 4. The continued impasse in the United States Congress to provide additional military aid to Ukraine and the passive response to Russian kinetic and hybrid aggression is contributing to Russia's expanding access with North Korea and Iran and global hybrid warfare. 5. We maintain the armed forces of Ukraine are facing critical ammunition shortages that are directly impacting their ability to maintain existing defensive lines. 6. We maintain that Ukrainian forces no longer have the combat potential to engage in any offensive operations, and Russian troops are capable of additional tactical success and achieving limited operational goals. 7. The reduction in Ukrainian combat potential is a direct result of blocked aid from the United States and the European Union. 8. Russian forces have established an operational objective to capture Chasivyar, west of Bakhmut. 9. Russian commanders have put mission objectives over all other considerations and are committed to capturing the Avdiivka salient, regardless of the cost, and are maintaining a force of at least 40,000 troops. 10. We maintain that combat that closely resembles World War I trench warfare versus 21st century combined arms maneuver warfare will continue through meteorological winter, which ends on February the 29th. 11. While the possibility of an intentional nuclear accident caused by Russian occupiers at the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant remains low, the threat should be taken seriously. We are very troubled by the latest report from the International Atomic Energy Agency and the lack of international attention. We begin in Kharkiv and Luhansk. 
In the Kupinsk Area of Operation, or AO in Kharkiv Oblast, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, and the Russian Ministry of Defense, or Armored, reported mutual fighting north and west of Sinkivka. Russian forces attempted to advance from Pershotravneva without success. North of the line of conflict, a geolocated video showed a Russian fire base equipped with a 2C19 Msta-S 152mm self-propelled howitzer, or SPG, destroyed by a Ukrainian drone. We'll link to the video in our daily situation report, and you can find more information in the podcast description or by researching for malcontent news on Patreon. Armored released a video showing an airstrike using OMPK glide bombs on a warehouse in Vovchansk. The morning report stated, quote, In the area of the city of Vovchansk, Kharkiv region, an ammunition depot of the 113th Terrestrial Defense Brigade was destroyed. Unquote. Ukrainian officials released pictures of the aftermath, showing that the warehouses were full of grain and a nearby food production plant was damaged. Russian mercenary mill blogger Rybar, who we have red-listed due to repeated disinformation in their reports, channeled Igor Strelkov-Girkin, dooming about the situation northeast of Kupiansk. It is worth noting we red-listed Rybar because of their repeated false claims of major Russian advances toward Kupiansk in the fall of 2023. Quote, it won't be possible to take Sinkivka head-on due to its geographical location. This requires advancement from Ivanivka and Timkivka. Quick note, that's the name of a Soviet era village northwest of Orlanska that no longer exists. But the assault fists, he means armored vehicles, that would be useful there are sent over and over again to Sinkivka. Instead of thoroughly thinking through the operation to blockade Kupiansk, systemic strikes on rear targets and destruction of supply routes for Ukrainian formations. Everything came down to assault operations. The moment was missed, and the advance near Kupiansk that had begun in the fall came to naught. Ukrainian formations have increased their strengths, creating a fairly powerful group. Assault groups advance without massive artillery bombardment along the same route, and the result of the section, using the example of Vugledar or Bilohorivka in 2022, is always the same. The thinking of some people responsible for planning has remained at the same level as before the special military operation. No conclusions were drawn. The task has been set, completed, no matter how. There is no awareness that this does not work. Unquote. Moving to assessment, there is a lot to unpack here. Rybar wrote over the summer and fall that attacking Kupiansk from Leman Persia and Sinkivka was the ideal route due to the terrain using the road to Petropavlivka. Additionally, the Russian mercenary mail bloggers declared at one point that Russian forces were inside of Kupiansk and had reached Kucherivka. Despite Rybar's attempt to rewrite history, Russian commanders have launched multiple armored attacks from Yahidne, Pershotravneva and Virshana in the direction of Petropavlivka since June 2023. Multiple Russian mail bloggers dismissed advancing on Kupiansk from this route due to marshy terrain and well-established Ukrainian defenses supported by intricate minefields. During the Russian fall-winter offensive of 2023, Russian troops put tremendous pressure on Ivanivka from October 22 to 28 and made repeated attacks in November and December. 
As for striking rear targets, the Russian Aerospace Forces, or VKS, repeatedly hit the bridges over the Oskil River in Kupinsk and hit the bridge at Senkova twice. I could spend hours reading a list of the hundreds of Wempakag light bombs, S-300 anti-aircraft missiles, Iskander arms, and North Korean-sourced KN-23 short-range ballistic missiles Russia has wasted on civilian targets in Kharkiv Oblast, including a funeral in Groza, the Novoposhta Logistics Center, two hotels occupied by foreign journalists, and yesterday a warehouse full of grain in Vovchansk. I could, but my counterparts at Rybari would screech that every bomb, missile and drone hit a legitimate military target meant to degrade Ukrainian combat strength, and each strike achieved its mission objective. Rybari then goes on to compare the failures in Kupiansk to the failed Russian Vuhledar offensive in February 2023 and the disastrous Siversky Donetsk river crossing at Belohorivka on May 8, 2022. Mikhail Zvinchuk and Denis Shukin, the founders of Rybar, better hope no one writes a denunciation for discrediting the Russian Federation armed forces. It is not rewriting history to say that the offensives at Sinkivka failed because of how Russia executed its attacks. The winter-fall 2023 offensive attempted to mirror the tactics of private military company Wagner Group, using Storm Z, Storm V, and Special Combat Army Reserve, also called as BARS units, in human wave attacks to exhaust Ukrainian defensive positions. Ukrainian commanders adapted and dramatically improved the war of attrition math in their favor over the fall. In the Kupinsk AO, there aren't viable Storm Z units left, and that's why Russia is currently consolidating and reconstituting these units. Former PMC Wagner mercenaries make up part of the ranks of Storm Z and V, and in committing a post-insurrection purge, the Russian Ministry of Defense has likely eliminated many of their most experienced fighters by using them as cannon fodder. I've waited months to be able to say this. All is going to plan. Northwest of Kremina in Luhansk Oblast, Russia launched a series of attacks in the direction of Makivka. There are reports of marginal gains made south of the settlement following a tree line within the current marked grey area on our war map. Russian mercenary mill blogger Wargonzo claimed that fighting continued near Terny. Armored reported that Ukrainian forces were on the offensive south of Dubrova. A graphic video released by Ukraine showed a squad of Rosgvardia Chechen Ahmad troops in a dugout coming under repeated attack by drone-delivered IEDs. Attempts to shoot down the reconnaissance drone failed, with the surviving members retreating to a shallow bunker. A drone dropped another mortar round, hitting their poorly constructed defensive position. Yes, we'll link to the video. After an extended break, Russian forces renewed their attacks on Bilohurivka, the one in Luhansk Oblast, in the Lysychansk AO. Fighting was described as positional. Next, let's talk about the Donbass. It was more active in the Siversk AO. Russian forces attempted to advance into Verkhnyokamyenske without success. Armod claimed Russian troops were attacking Ukrainian positions in Vesele from Yakovlivka, but made no claims of territorial gains. 
In the Bakhmut area, there were no reports of significant fighting in the area of Bogdanovka or Ivanivska. Another assessment. We maintain that Russian forces are attempting to set conditions to advance on Chasiv Yar and sever the Ukrainian T-504 highway ground line of communication, GLOG, that's a supply line, from Kostantinivka. Poor weather and unfavorable terrain have made further advances increasingly challenging. In the Klishivka area, positional fighting continued northwest and east of Klishivka and east of Andreevka. Ukrainian drone operators continue to strike Russian armor formations west of Zaitseva as they transit to the line of conflict, or log, during daylight hours using the same routes. In the Toretsk New York AO, Armod claimed that Ukrainian forces were on the offensive in the area of the Terrakins on the northwestern edge of Horlivka. In southwest Donetsk, Ukrainian forces continued to hold their defensive lines. On the north flank of the Avdiivka AO, Russian forces increased the size and intensity of attacks on the railroad grade southeast of Novobakhmutivka. Fighting continued along the railroad grade near Stepove and northeast of the Avdivka coke plant compound. On the southern flank, Russian troops continued their attempts to advance through the no-man's land between Vodzane and Severne and failed to advance east of Parvomaiske and Nevelske. In the Marinka AO, while Russian forces continued their attacks east of Krasnohorivka and Georgievka and in the area of Marinka, the fighting has become positional and less intense. Another assessment. With the Ukrainian defensive lines stabilized in Novomikhailivka and holding at Pobeda, we believe Russian commanders have become unsure of how to turn the tactical gains in Marinka into operational success. Pushing further west to Kurachove without taking Novomikhailivka first will create an ever-growing salient with very exposed G-locks. Russian forces likely don't want to commit the personnel to advance and, while holding an ammunition advantage, don't hold enough reserve munitions to support an additional offensive on parity with Avdiivka. In the Staromlinivka AO, Russian commanders continued to push newly formed Storm Z companies at Ukrainian defenses. Russian sources reported that Russian troops tried to advance north from Novomayorska toward Prechistivka and east toward Staromayorska from positions near Priyudna. Neither attack was successful. In Zaporizhia, we don't start in Orihiv. Instead, let's talk about the Huliaipola AO. GSAFU reported that a Russian attack in the direction of Chervona was repulsed. Fighting continued in the Orihiv AO. There was intense positional fighting west and southwest of Verbove and lighter fighting west of Robotina. Southeast of occupied Berdyansk, a Russian A-50U Beriev mainstay AWACS aircraft was shot down and crashed in the Sea of Azov. Russia only had six operational A-50Us and three older A-50s, which are based on the Il-76 heavy lift transport. Russian sources also reported that an Il-22M command and control aircraft was hit by friendly fire and had to make an emergency landing with two wounded. Russian mail blogger fighter bomber, who has been semi-reliable in confirming the loss of Russian airframes, expressed frustration with the tight control of the Russian information space. 
Between the lines, they appear to confirm the loss of the airplanes, saying, quote, A tragedy is always a tragedy, especially when it's of this scale. We most likely will not know who is to blame for the death of the pilots. Eternal flight to the dead, to the wounded, a speedy recovery and return to duty. Ask for specifics from the Moscow region and from the administrators of the stupid-headed channels, who consider themselves the real patriots of the country, and decide exactly what can be written and what cannot. Unquote. Quick assessment. Russian losses of this scale are typically followed by punitive missile strikes on civilians and civilian infrastructure. But what does the word punitive mean? That's how Russian propaganda calls their strikes. As a person living in Ukraine, I can confirm that attacks are incessant. You can look up statistics on any next-to-frontline city, say Kherson. Short-range weapons are used not daily, but hourly, on civilians and civilian infrastructure included. Long-range weapons, such as missiles and shahads, need time to be accumulated, so the strikes happen once in several days. What I mean to say is Russians don't reciprocate. They have started it, they are continuing it. And when it coincides with Ukrainian success on the battlefield, it's called punitive. The International Atomic Energy Agency, IAEA, provided an update on the status of the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant, ZNPP. Russian occupiers continue to block access to reactor halls 1, 2 and 6. The new group of inspectors was denied access to Reactor 6, being told the area was sealed and to make another request in a week. On December 22, the previous IAEA inspector team reported there were significant boric acid leaks in the reactor safety systems, which appears to have caused their access to be revoked. A lot of assessments today. We are deeply troubled with the situation at Reactor 6, we do believe that if there were a serious threat, the IAEA would escalate further, and to be clear, we do not believe there is a risk of an imminent accident, nor do we believe an accident has happened. The weak language from the IAEA and the apparent lack of transparency from Rosatom is concerning, as is the deteriorating condition of the NPP. We don't understand why the international press is not covering the deteriorating condition of the plant, which needs more attention. IAEA Director General Rafael Grossi said, quote, These restrictions on the experts' timely access to the ZNPP are impeding the IAEA's ability to assess the safety and security situation, including confirming the reported status of the reactor units, spent fuel ponds, and associated safety equipment, independently and effectively. Unquote. Inspectors were able to enter the safety room of Reactor 6 and noted the boric acid leaks had diminished. Russian officials said the leaks had been caused by micro-cracks in the boron tank and a blockage in the leak detection circuit. Reactor 5 remains in hot shutdown to provide steam for plant operations and heat to Energodar. In the Khersonio, fighting continued in the forests south of Krynke, with Ukrainian forces repelling six Russian attacks, fighting in difficult conditions. The video we link to in the situation report shows Krynke has been reduced to a World War I moonscape, 
Wargonzo reported that Ukrainian forces were on the offensive near Pishanivka. The Dnipro and Konka rivers have started to freeze from the near record cold, making supply and logistics crossing more difficult. In Moldova, Russia continues to use the same our offensive didn't end the way we wanted it to playbook. The Ministry of the State Security of the Breakaway Republic of Transnistria claimed that foreign agents were preparing groups to launch terrorist attacks. Quote, According to available information, at present, at the facilities of the Special Forces of the Law Enforcement Agencies of the Republic of Moldova, under the leadership of foreign specialists, special combat groups of more than 60 people, mostly arriving from the territory of Ukraine and having experience in combat operations, are being trained to carry out terrorist acts on the territory of the PMR to destroy critical life support facilities, carry out sabotage at military facilities, capture or kill senior officials of the Republic and heads of law enforcement agencies. Unquote. Another assessment. Did I mention that the Russian fall-winter 2023 offensive has culminated and failed? Russia consistently spreads disinformation that Ukraine is preparing to attack Transnistria as their offensive operations reach culmination or to grow regional tension. Moscow could be working with Transnistrian leadership to lay the foundation for a false flag, but previous attempts have been almost comedically transparent. Additionally, the overall lack of attention to the Russia-Ukraine war is reducing the impact of these hybrid warfare claims directed at a Western audience. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers and analysts is funded by readers, listeners and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at malcontentnews. Let's talk about theater-wide events, and a lot happened over the weekend. On January the 13th, Russia launched a medium-scale missile and drone attack against Ukraine. Three Shahid-136 one-way drones, 12 ballistic missiles, up to 12 KH-101 air-to-surface cruise missiles, 6 KH-22 supersonic cruise missiles, 2 KH-31P anti-radiation missiles and 4 KH-59 guided air-to-surface missiles were used. Ukrainian air defense shot down 7 of the KH-101 cruise missiles and 1 KH-59 guided missile. The Ukrainian Air Force reported that more than 20 additional missiles and drones were disabled and missed their targets due to electronic warfare. More assessment. Ukraine has almost two years in the technological race to come up with solutions beyond air defense systems to defeat Russian missile attacks. Given the open questions on whether additional support for Patriot will come from the United States, Ukraine needed a plan B, and it appears that we have developed one. During his evening address, President of Ukraine Volodymyr Zelensky discussed the new electronic warfare breakthrough. Quote, we are preparing another good news about air defense. We remember about missiles. There will be more about EW means of radio-electronic warfare. Unquote. On Friday, President Zelensky said that four Ukrainian sailors are being held by Houthi militants in Yemen. 
On the same day of his announcement, the Foreign Ministry of Ukraine reported that four more citizens were being held by rebels in Somalia after a United Nations helicopter crash. A Ukrainian private company was operating the chopper in support of the UN mission, with a total of nine people taken hostage at the crash site. Also on Friday, British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak made an unannounced visit to Ukraine, where he addressed the Verkhovna Rada. I come from the world's oldest parliament to address the world's bravest, and it is an honor to do so. During his visit, Ukraine and the United Kingdom signed a historic security agreement. London will provide Kyiv with, quote, continued and comprehensive support for the next decade. The agreement stipulates that in the event of a future Russian attack, the UK will provide Ukraine with the necessary assistance quickly and without delay, including modern weapons to repel aggression on land, sea and air. President Zelensky said, quote, Today is the day when the history of Europe has changed. Ukraine and the United Kingdom have concluded a new and unprecedented security agreement. This is not just a declaration. This is a reality that will come thanks to our cooperation, and in particular security guarantees from the outstanding global power of Great Britain." Unquote. Your quest for freedom has inspired and moved the British people. And for the free nations of the world, aid to Ukraine is also an investment in our own collective security. Because if Putin wins in Ukraine, he will not stop there. And our opponents around the world believe that we have neither the patience nor resources for long wars. So waver now, and we embolden not just Putin, but his allies in North Korea, Iran and elsewhere. The UK became the first G7 country to sign security guarantees with Ukraine, and the guarantees will remain in force until Ukraine joins the NATO alliance. The British Prime Minister also announced a £2.5 billion military aid package for 2024, larger than all the military aid provided in the 2022 and 2023 fiscal years combined. Sunak said that the package will include, quote, the largest batch of reconnaissance, attack and maritime drones that has ever been transferred to Ukraine by a foreign state, unquote. Speaking with reporters after Prime Minister Sunak's visit, the United States ambassador to Ukraine, Bridget Brink, said that Washington has already held two rounds of talks with Kyiv to provide security guarantees. She added that the US president would set the terms of any agreement. The fourth meeting to discuss Ukraine's peace formula was held in Davos, Switzerland. The Ukrainian delegation was working on five of the ten points, including the withdrawal of Russian troops, restoration of justice, environmental security, prevention of escalation and recurrence of war, and confirmation of the end of the war. The head of the office of the President of Ukraine, Andriy Yermak, said that President Zelensky would never accept a, quote, frozen conflict, and that more than 30 countries have joined the agreement on security cooperation. After the meeting, Swiss federal councillor Innazio Cassis said that Russia needs to be involved if there is to be peace. He also called out China, who did not participate in the meeting, saying that Beijing had an quote, important role to play in the completion of the process. The spokesperson for the Russian Ministry of Foreign Affairs, Maria Zakharova, 
said that for Russia to participate in future talks, all sanctions must be lifted, the supply of weapons to Ukraine needs to end, and Western nations need to stop making, quote, Russophobic statements. Hey, Maria, can you show me on this doll where the Russophobic statements hurt you? Dual Chilean and United States citizen, pro-Russian propagandist and coach Red Pill dating advisor Gonzalo Lira died in a Ukrainian hospital from pneumonia. Lira posted from Ukraine reprehensible videos about dating women and sex tourism. When the Russia-Ukraine war expanded, he spread pro-Russian propaganda, disparaged the Ukrainian armed forces, and revealed Ukrainian military positions and activity on social media from his home in Kharkiv. On May 1, 2023, Lira was arrested by the Security Service of Ukraine on charges of producing pro-Russian propaganda and was facing five years in prison. Lira was placed under house arrest and in July violated the terms of his release by trying to flee to Hungary. He was supposed to have court hearings on December 12th and 21st, but it is unclear if they happened. On December 31st, he was transferred from pre-trial detention to a hospital to treat pneumonia. Rumors of Lira's death have circulated numerous times since February 2022, but the United States Department of State confirmed his passing. Sweden announced it was increasing their production of 155mm artillery rounds for Ukraine, in addition to its early announcement of increasing overall ammunition production. The details of the contract signed with arms maker NAMO were not revealed. What's happening in the land of Mobix, mobilization and Mir? On January 5th, Russian Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Chernobrivy was killed in action at Saki military airfield in occupied Crimea due to a Ukrainian missile strike. Chernobrivy was the deputy commander of the 43rd Separate Naval Assault Aviation Regiment. The Russian Ministry of Defense had previously claimed all Ukrainian missiles were shot down and there was no damage at the airfield. Additionally, on December 24, Lieutenant Colonel Ivan Larkin, commander of an undisclosed Russian tank battalion, was killed in action in the Avdiivka AO. Multiple Russian officials denied a report in the Russian news publication Build that the heat was being turned off in penal colonies to encourage convicts to sign contracts with the Russian Federation Armed Forces. Alexei Melnikov of the Federal Penitentiary Service partially torpedoed the denials when he confirmed that heat had been reduced at several penal colonies in the Primorsky territory and the Ivanova, Perm and Yaroslavl regions. Quote, the temperature there dropped to 15 degrees Celsius. In one of the institutions it reached 12 degrees. These are predominantly female colonies. Unquote. The convicts have it better than up to 25% of the population of Moscow and many other Russian cities, where heating systems have completely failed due to a perfect storm of neglect, strain from record cold, corruption and a worker shortage. If you've noticed a new period of flailing in the Russian information space, we officially have the final confirmation that the Russian fall-winter 2023 offensive was wound down. Russia has moved to ad hoc point attacks and probes of Ukrainian defenses. 
they wantonly killed and wounded hundreds of civilians in less than five days through massive missile attacks. They are claiming that Ukraine is preparing to attack Transnistria, and that leaves the last item on the checklist. It's time to claim Ukraine is preparing a chemical, biological, radiological or nuclear attack. All is going to plan. Which one is it? Biolabs. The deputy speaker of the state Duma, Irina Yaravaya, told reporters, quote, The results of the parliamentary investigation into the activities of American military biolaboratories in Ukraine have conclusively confirmed the fact that answers to the causes of new pandemics and biological threats must be sought, first of all, within the dangerous military bioproject of the Pentagon. Unquote. Remember last year, when Russian propagandists repeated the claim that there were thousands of black Polish NATO mercenaries fighting for Ukraine? We found the black mercenaries. Ukrainian forces with the 46th Naval Infantry Brigade captured the second Russian soldier from Somalia in the Marienka AO. The 20-year-old, who can speak English, said he had been in Ukraine for two months and signed a contract with the Russian Federation Armed Forces for the money. The Crime Victims Support Fund of Russia called for the Kremlin to establish administrative supervision over former convicts who volunteered for military service, were pardoned and returned from Ukraine. The Leadership Fund said that former victims live in fear and returning convicts are committing crimes at an increasing rate. To prove the point, a court in Dalnyrechensk, Primorsky territory, sentenced a former PMC Wagner mercenary to seven years in prison for killing a person for criticizing the war. The pair were drinking when they got into a verbal argument. The former Wagnerite then beat the man with a bar stool until it broke, then beat him with a second one. He then struck him with a bat before stabbing the man. The victim was also a penal soldier whom President Vladimir Putin pardoned in January 2023. I hope he likes it cold. I'm told the heat has been turned down in the Primorsky territory penal colonies. What's a country to do when you don't want to use your regular soldiers in human wave attacks, but you're running out of convicts, political enemies, former insurrectionists and other undesirables? You dig deeper for foreign mercenaries. A draft bill has been introduced in the state Duma that would permit foreigners with criminal records to become contract soldiers for Russia. What could possibly go wrong? And that's what we know. Your support of my home, Ukraine, helps us make history and protect the future for all. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.